0: hiding for almost two weeks, but we're back. It's Initiative Roll, A Dungeon Master's Guide to Mastering Dungeons. I'm your host, Logan Johnson. I'm your co-host, Nathaniel Johnson. And I'm your dungeon master, Greg Marchant. Now, you're probably wondering, those of you listening at home, was Greg hiding us, hiding with us in this bunker as we we froze over for the winter during the holiday season? Well, I'll let you decide, but I'll give you a little hint. It's gotten pretty stinky in here. There's been three full-grown men, (laughs) <laughs> it's been a little little uncomfortable. We'll we'll get out. We'll get out of the bunker. We'll get to some showers eventually, but first, we're going to produce this episode. <laughs> it would have been a lot worse if um if it had been warm, you know. Yeah. No, yeah. That's it true. would have been a lot that's worse. True. Probably I, a good thing it's cold. Well, there was just, you know, we were all huddled in individual corners with our Nintendo Switches just like hoping that the winter would pass <laughs> us by and that we would be able to survive. Um and we did. We did. And we did. We did. The days,
1: the days are getting longer and the nights are getting shorter.
0: Yeah. And the yeah, next, they are. The next thing you know, we'll be in Day After Tomorrow territory. It's going to be Giant Snowdress, right by the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, that... Wait, really? Is that how that movie goes? I've never seen it. I don't know. That's what the DVD cover looks like. Fair enough. So, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I'm basically a day after tomorrow. No, wait. Hold on. That's got to be Day After Tomorrow, right? I think it is. Yep, yep. Because Day of the Earth is still the one with Keanu Reeves. Yes. And that was the one I was getting confused with. And, uh... That movie is a... Well, if you've never seen a Keanu Reeves film that's uh, like a B-movie sci-fi film, that's one to watch. I don't know, though. I'd go Bill and Ted for sure before Yeah, but that's not a B-film. That's a cult classic. There's there's a difference. Initiative roll. (laughs) Initiative roll. A Dungeon Master's Guide to Mastering Dungeons. Uh, A Dungeon
1: Master's Guide to Mastering Keanu Reeves.
0: Wow. Wow. Kinky. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have to edit that one out. (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) Mastering Keanu
1: Reeves movies. True,
0: yeah. Keanu Reeves trivia. (laughs) Seen it, Keanu Reeves. That's what I want. Keanu Reeves seen it. <laughs> Isn't seen it that old board game that Where you the, play with like a TV? And, and it's the like, DVD, yeah. And, and it's the- like basically a bunch of like, hey, here's trivia about your favorite subject. Oh, look, it's Harry Potter. And either you've memorized everything on this disc or you're just a big fat nerd. Yeah, well, and the other thing too is it's like, it's random trivia. So it'll be like, ah, oh, well, how many pixies were in this Harry Potter scene? But if it was just Keanu Reeves... Like, for example, one of the trivia questions would be, what number am I thinking of? <laughs> and I'll leave that to yeah. you. Yeah? I'll leave that to you. We'll leave that right to on. you, Bill and Ted fans out there. Uh, I think Greg pulled up the picture for us of uh, the day after tomorrow, and it sounds like Logan was right. Yep. Spot on. Yep. Statue of Liberty is buried in snow. Huh. Initiative roll. <laughs> initiative roll. <laughs> um, so today in initiative roll, we wanted to talk about building cities for our theme, and not cities that are frozen and covered over with ice. No, you could do that. that. Yeah, I was gonna say actually, I probably should actually be a great that. That'd be option. Pretty, that'd be that would pretty be super on. fun. I'm gonna do that now. Um, and so, Nathaniel, you kind of brought in the theme <laughs> of setting up cities and building cities for today's episode. Yes. What inspired that? Well, I had actually recorded something to go up on Christmas, where I went through and I recorded me building a city for my campaign. Um, however, the audio quality was awful. Pretty crunchy, from what you told me. Yeah, you could hear every rustle of paper over my voice, Um, and so it just wasn't good recording material, but there was a lot of good things that came out of it, and both Greg and I have been in an interesting position where I have been building a city because we're taking a break from my campaign, and we've taken a break from his campaign, and he's been building a city, so we've both been doing the same thing, separate from each other, and we kind of wanted to talk about our different thoughts on that experience. Now, does this have anything to do with the fact that we've been trapped in this bunker away from cities and civilizations for so <laughs> long? I've missed it deeply. Okay. I'm a city boy. What can I say? So talk to me a little bit about what you did, Greg. Uh, go ahead and give me an overview of the process that you went through.
1: That's a little bit tricky because it kind of came together out of a bunch of like random things that came up. At, it kind of started with a bunch of random things that came up at the end of the campaign where we knew that the main, like, that this new bad guy that you guys had discovered was most likely the governor of the local city. Okay. And so it started with, okay, I'm going to have to have a base, a power base for this guy. And I realized that combat encounters in the quieting campaign have been a little bit lackluster. And so I wanted to make some more, like, combat-based stuff there. So I was like, okay, this guy's going to have a base of power, there's going to be a big dungeon underneath it, and then I started thinking, well, how do they find the dungeon? How do they, how do they um, track down where this guy is? How do they get inside? How are how? What are some ways that they could get inside this um, place? And I started thinking about like ways to ways to get into there, and the city just kind of sprang up around it. And then a bunch of people gave me some random, uh, some random incidental ideas that are just like, yeah, that's cool. So I'm going to put it in there.
0: Okay, cool. Interesting. That sounds almost exactly like what I did. Um, for the city that I was developing, Crown Ruby, I started with this palace, which just, I'll throw this tidbit to you guys. This is kind of cool. The palace, um, the city is called Crown Ruby, I should say, because of the palace. The palace has a dome on it that's entirely made of some sort of red glistening stone. It's not actually ruby, but it, it gives off that. Rockin'. Yeah, it gets, ah, rockin', I got it. <laughs> um, it gives off that kind of feel of ruby. Um, and it's the seat of power. So it's crown ruby. It's where the seat of the power of the realm is because of this palace. And once I developed that point, everything I started developing in kind of a spiral pattern outward. Okay, this is where this is. This is where that is based on what made sense. And just remind me real quick, whose palace is this? This is the palace of Talus. Thank you. Prince Talos, <laughs> the palace of Talus. That's what I wanted to hear. And then so from after building crown Ruby's palace of Talus, you designed the city around it? Yeah. That's essentially what I did. And I I think, if I remember my process exactly, I started by building the palace and I said, okay, what is in the palace? And I said, well, obviously this is where the prince lives. This is where court is held. These are where the laws are made. Um, he's also going to have a royal wizard. Well, where does he get the royal wizard from? Oh, there's probably a magical university nearby in the city. And uh, things just started gotcha. to develop from there. So I have a question for both of you. Did either of you go through... Uh, just trying to get a, an idea for the process here. Did you map anything, or was it mostly just like? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Finish your question. Okay. Sorry. Uh, no, I go go ahead. That's kind of what I was getting at. Did you map something, and what was that process like? <laughs> um, it the the town started with mapping.
1: The town of uh, Lundus is the the name of the town after like the after the ruler of the town whose name is Lunder. Oh, okay. um, is um this this town started with mapping because I decided that. One of the features of the town is it's gonna have a playable sewer area.
0: Nice. High
1: five! I like that.
0: Ooh, perfect high five for the Foley work. Right. Yeah, that was that was, that was good. good. <laughs> um, the
1: the sewer needed to be playable, and I don't know if anybody is aware of this, but sewers usually run under the entirety. Of oh the yeah, city. I, uh, the, yeah. I would hope that. Any city I live in has a sewer under the entire <laughs> all of it. <laughs> right. I don't know. This is supposed to be a Roman esque town, and I don't know if anybody knows anything about Roman towns, but they were pretty thorough with their municipal um, facilities and things like that. Yeah, I've heard that. So I I had to know the if the sewer was going to be playable, I had to map out the sewer, and I had to know how big the town was to map out the sewer. Right. And so that gave me a perfect like. Ma- by, based on the sewer, I knew exactly how big the town could be because it couldn't be bigger than the sewer.
0: Sure. Fascinating. So do you have, uh, just out of curiosity, do you have, like, then a street-by-street street map of this city? Not not quite that detailed, but okay. I, I, do have, I do
1: have a map that shows, like, major streets and neighborhoods, and then huh. I did some, like, little details in there just to, like, make it look like there are some areas that are kind of windy. Sure. That, those are just for, like artistic choice to help me imagine it but they're not like actual i'm not i didn't like map out address by address every every city and every street in the city but i i made the streets like really windy and tangled in some parts to show where like the old city was and where the the roman town was kind of like eating up chunks of it and redeveloping it and stuff like that i really like
0: that so give me a picture here I obviously don't want to take too much of the wonder since we're going to be playing through this city. Yeah, uh, which we are <laughs> excited give, for. Give me a number. Like how, like how many main streets? How big? Give, like give me some idea for the size of this city.
1: So Roman towns generally had a... They were generally laid out on a north-south pattern. Okay. So even if the roads kind of like came... Were coming from slightly different directions, you know, because the other cities weren't exactly north or south, um, they would kind of bend and run into a north-south pattern. Right before they reached the city. Gotcha. So it's got a main north-south road and okay. a main east-west road. And then within each of those, I think there's, um, I think aside from those, there's like two other major streets on either side of the north-south road Great. and two other major streets on either side of the east-west road. There's like a, there's like a big um, castle that interrupts some of the east-west roads so they don't go all the way across. The city is a perfect square.
0: Oh, it is a perfect
1: square. It is a perfect square. Perfect. Um, Which is like, not all Roman towns were exactly like that, but that's like the ideal pattern would be, because it's it's easy to control and it's easy to control like movements within the city so that you can like move soldiers through, move goods through without causing a lot of traffic. Right. If you just have a perfect square. And then there's one road that just like circles the inside of the wall or squares the inside of the wall. Just goes runs parallel to the wall all the way gotcha. around the edge.
0: That's yes. super cool. Okay, so talk about your city design a little bit, Daniel. <laughs> Um Well, my map so far is not nearly as detailed as Greg's, though I do have a map, kind of. It's more like I drew the circle where the palace was, and then I drew another circle around it, and I just kind of divided off lines and chunks, and wrote, okay, this is the general area where the university is, this is the general area where this thing is, and so on and so forth. And then I did another ring outside of that, and these areas are not even sort of to scale for what they are. Gotcha. They're they're just kind of like a, and to the north of the palace, we got this section, and then to the east, we got these sections, and so on and so forth. So it's very, very different from Greg's meticulous detail. It's just a, let's just figure out what all the main factions in the city are kind of idea. Sure. And that gives you kind of an overview and a little bit of room to play with on the, on the role-playing side, where you can say, like, oh, we're going to go to the Mage yes. Quarter, and the Mage Quarter can be as big as you want and as small as you need it to be. Is that right. kind of what you're trying to get um, at with the vague map? Yes and no. So the vague map was just because it was my first step in the planning. I would like to eventually be able to present the players with an actual map, for example. That's something I would like to do. However, what's nice about what I've done so far is if I don't present them with an actual map, I do have at least enough of an idea that I can say... No, if you if you want to get to this area, you're going to have to go through this area. I did the bare minimum, I guess, for what I needed so that I could focus on the things that I thought were more important, like developing the NPCs and the various buildings that they might come across. And then if I have the time, I want to go through and actually make the city, you know, a real map and actually make sense, logistically speaking. Gotcha. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So this is just kind of a vague sketch to get you started. Right. And then from there you fill in the
1: blanks. So something that Nathaniel Nathaniel said reminded me, my city like actually isn't going to be a street by street map like I was drawing it when you guys play through it. Okay, okay. interesting. Because after I did I did the street by street thing to get it to get my thinking going and some of that's still going to exist, but the sewers, for example, which I wanted to make into a playable area, I realized that when I started thinking about what goes on in the sewers, you you probably wouldn't have to very often map out square by square on a grid what's going on down there yeah Probably. sure um there would be a not few for D&D purposes yeah not for dnd purposes there there would be a few scenarios where that where that could come in handy like in a certain like if a certain fight comes up we might want to map it out square by square and say okay the tunnel you're in is like so wide by so long and there are these different like corridors coming off of it and sewage running down the middle or something like that but what it actually ended up turning into is more like what Nathaniel's got at Perfect. this point. I started with really complicated, then I was like, okay, now what do I not actually want to have to build in detail because it was getting super, um, it was getting super detailed and really hard to like draw out. And I was using Dungeonographer and <laughs> that gotcha, sure. gotcha. uh, Dungeonographer is great for drawing out stuff that you've already drawn on grid paper, and not so great for
0: creating it the
1: first yeah not yeah. so great for creating so it's actually going to end up
0: more like Nathaniel's so what I find kind of interesting about you planning out this sewer system is the first time that I played d d as an adult I was DMing and I was using a pre-made adventure from the third edition campaign setting Eberron which I happen to love a ton and from what I can tell they're working on publishing stuff for fifth edition for it and that makes me Super happy dang. That's my least favorite third edition setting. That's fine. That's totally fine <laughs> Well, it's kind of cool because a lot of third edition took place in either Eberron or the Forgotten Realms if you bought any right uh, stuff and everything fifth edition has been Forgotten Realms So they're doing Eberron, but what's cool is it took place in this city called Sharn now The Eberron campaign setting super briefly is what I would call futuristic magic meaning that magic has progressed to a point where it's considered more a science than an art and they've started to develop essentially trains and planes and everything run off of magic, including these artificial intelligence creatures known as Warforged. Super fun. That all aside, the city that we were playing in was called Sharn, city of a thousand towers. And it had an extensive sewer system in, oh, I don't know, the middle layer of the towers. A really cool setup. And so the first adventure took place in this sewer. And at least Greg, maybe some cannon fodder for you is one of the things they had to deal with in one of their combat scenarios was a constant flow of sewage into gross. Yeah. So (laughs) if you can imagine this, what you have is you've got this tunnel going through maybe 10 feet across and every five feet, there is another entry pipe into this main tunnel and every round of combat, you would roll a 12 sided die because there were 12 pipes and anybody who was standing next to the corresponding number would get hit with the sewage and have to make like a uh, strength saving throw or something. Bro, this up all over. You drew this for me. I once. did draw this for you once. You that's drew right. this
1: out for me once and showed me what this looked like. And that that was something that definitely that I definitely had in mind with some of what I, some of what I built. Although I, I didn't want to get like that technical. Sure. With it, but. And
0: while that's a while that's a. Uh, I'm going to call it a trap even though it's not a trap per se, that's a very technologically advanced trap, that's probably not something that's going to exist in your city, but things like that and keeping in mind, hey, we're playing in the sewers, makes for a really fun setting if you use it, right? And that hints at something that I wanted to talk about, which is how to make things really memorable because your door fighter is never going to forget the time that he got plowed over by 200 tons of poop, right? That's like not <laughs> something that's going to slip his mind as a player easily, right? Um so I want to talk a little bit as you two went in and started to do either, you know, broad brush strokes or even just closer details into your cities, I want to talk a little bit about what unique memorable things you might put into a city. You don't have to give me an exact if it's a, if you want to do some campaign shading, but Go ahead, Nathaniel. The two things that I think are the most important that you can do are NPCs and lore. And an NPC doesn't have to be a person, it can be a building, for example. Um, So the palace is an NPC in a lot of ways. It doesn't have a personality or anything, but it's memorable in its layout and its design with the rooftop. Uh, Lore, the University of Magic nearby, has a lot of lore about how it got founded. That's memorable. But then there's actual pr- NPCs, actual people like Prince Talus or uh, Mauskiewicz. Okay. And uh, that's how I would go about making a city and an experience memorable inside of your campaign. So you would use mainly NPCs and then also little bits of lore. Yep. That's N- the main thing I would do. Now, when you say lore, are you saying like, you're going to, like, give me, how do you f- feed that to your players? Do you drip sip system it? Do you pour it through them like a sewer flood? (laughs) I mean, is it like a Skyrim book they can find on Uh, the side? A little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. So I think that it's very appropriate when players come upon a new city, if they've never been to that city as a party before, and they as players are new to it, but it would be reasonable that their characters would know things about the city, that I can just info dump on them for a minute or two. And just tell them, oh, you know about this, and you know about this. So I would say, oh, you know about the Ruby Palace. You know this exists. You also know a little bit about the university. Apparently, it's the oldest university in the world. It was set up by the great wizard Melcat, and so on and so forth. And you just... Melcat, Harvard, sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you get the idea. Well, okay. Small aside about universities that I have to make. So universities are super old. Cambridge is like 1300s old, which is around the time frame that we set up a lot of is in the medieval ages typically mm-hmm. um and what's cool about universities is you look at ancient empires like the mayan empire which lived for like 500 years the mayan empire was born in the lifetime of cambridge and died in the lifetime of cambridge university cambridge was on the earth before the mayan empire and outlived it Hmm. But back then it was just Cambridge Community College, right? Right, it was just it was just uh, it was just C C-C-C. C++. Yeah, there it is, C++. Cambridge Community College. Which, awesome. side note,
1: is, you know, where they developed the, uh, where they developed the coding language C++.
0: That's not overly surprising to me. Trivia fact: Is that really <laughs> where they did it? I have absolutely no idea. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. it! It's also I the called place, that bluff. <laughs> it's also the place where the Cambridge Analytica thing happened. I don't want to get down in the dumps here, but if you don't know about that, maybe give it a Google and delete your Facebook, huh? Anyway. <laughs> uh, but that was, that was grimdark for a second. So what do you think about making a city memorable, Greg? What are your um, thoughts? Okay. I... I'm kind of on the same page as Nathaniel
1: as far as lore, but what what I would focus on is not I wouldn't call it lore. I would call it history. Okay. And what's important is not so much like the ancient history of it. That's not what concerns the average person. Their characters are all like like hometown hero level type of, types of heroes at this point. They're not They're not worried about the ancient history for the most part. Maybe. Maybe like the the bard wants to learn some kind of ballad, or the the wizard wants to dig up some arcane secret or something like that, but they're not really concerned about the ancient history of the place, but they're probably all familiar with the recent politics and history of the place. Okay, sure. For example, and I'll dump this on you guys now because I'm going to dump it on all y'all later. Fair enough. Lundus used to be called Sapwash.
0: That was the name of the city. Yeah.
1: okay. It was a place where lumber cut a little bit further north, drifted down the drifted down the river, you know, bound together and, like, pulled along by, like, guys with big sticks, like, pushing it down sure. the river. And so it was called Sapwash, because there was always, like, the water was always a little bit sticky around the docks from that.
0: I have to say, I love the way you come up with names. Like, yeah, it's pretty good. It, it's good super one. memorable. I'm very, very impressed with it. Yeah. Thank you. So how about... Sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say I'm also reading the screw tape letters right now and sapwash sounds like a demon from the screw tape <laughs> that's, letters. That's fair. <laughs> and I love it. Like when he was like Sapwash, I was like, oh yeah, isn't that like Screw Tape for Brother or um, something? <laughs> like fair. aren't they palling around? You're um, probably getting around to that book. I'm proud of yeah, you. Yeah, I got it for Christmas, so cool. Man, I and I don't have you know. much else in this bunker. <laughs> Except the Nintendo Switch. True. And, and cute little Eevee. <laughs> yeah, I know. Let's go! <laughs> but yeah, you were saying about Sapwash. About okay, yeah. so, but ten years ago, about, the um, the
1: Empire showed up, and they conquered the area. And like, as we talked about with Quieting, they got to Quieting, and they said, yep, there's nothing more worth wanting past this point, point," and they kind of just called that the end of the Empire, and said there's absolutely nothing worth having past here. And they set up, and the, the head guy, Lunder set up his city in the position where the town of Sapwash was, and he's slowly like revamped it in this Romanesque style. Hmm, gotcha. That's something that all of you would that's something that all of you would know about and it's important because within the city, it's still being redeveloped. And there are still these old neighborhoods that are laid out in kind of these tangled roads. Hmm. Um, where it's, you know, more of a medieval more of like a medieval town being I know we're reversing history a little bit and thinking of a medieval town conquered by the Romans. Right. There's still this medieval town there living inside there. And there's some like there's some tension going on there between the old city and the new city. And we would all
0: be at least passingly aware of that. Yeah.
1: And I think that's I think details like that are important for making it memorable because they give the people of the city
0: motivation for what they do. So now, I can't get off of the sewage problems of a city. I just, I can't. And all I can picture is the new city, which is done by the Romans, is going to have this extensive sewage system. Mm -hmm. But the old city probably isn't. So all I can picture is every time I've ever seen in a movie where they have chamber pots that they throw out into the street, all I can picture is my poor little tiefling fear walking out (laughs) and getting a chamber pot dumped on his head in the old city. I have to interject here. How many films have you watched where that happened? It's a good two or three. <laughs> Weird fetish, but okay.
1: <laughs> no, but that's, that's a legitimate thing that could happen because the old city has not been remodeled and therefore the buildings haven't been torn down and therefore there's not a sewer underneath it yet. But seriously, that's something that could legitimately happen because in the old part of the city, in the remaining old part, they haven't torn down the buildings yet, so they haven't torn down the buildings and dug up the ground right. to build a sewer and they, the houses don't have plumbing, so
0: they are going to still be throwing their refuse. Dang it. Out my character's going to get covered in poop. <laughs> well, I like this because you say they haven't yet torn down the buildings, they haven't yet dug up the streets, which implies that there could be construction crews. Oh, that is right? interesting. Which is like a very city thing. Um, I kind of want to take a little bit of a turn here from some of the things we've been discussing about cities. I think we've got a. As, as accurate of a picture of the, your two cities as we're going to get before we play through them. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I want to just take a minute and let's talk about our favorite cities. Like in real life or in fantasy or what are you talking about? Either. I mean, like, do, do you have a city that you either, I would prefer like a fantasy one. Um, sure. They tend to be a little more accessible. <laughs> like anybody who hears us talk about it. Um, I'm going to kick us off with Twilight Princess Castletown. Okay. Um, Where you walk down the street and, you know, there's a big fountain in one area and then you can open a mallow mart on the other side. Um, there's a couple of really good pillar places where you can transform. I love opening Mallow Mart. Sorry, I just have been smiling about it <laughs> since you said it. It's a good side quest. It is a good side uh, quest. Or you can duck behind some pillars and transform into a wolf if you need to warp away. Yep, um, <laughs> I've done cu- that plenty of times. a couple of side missions by the south gate. You can walk down a certain side street and you'll run into an incredibly, incredibly remastered Tingle. Yes, um, you will. Who runs a pre-dug claw shop minigame. Which is my favorite part of Twilight Princess. Um, because you get fangirls. <laughs> it's, it's so, so funny. funny. <laughs> anyway, um, so that's what I want to point out because there's so many different things about that city that I remember. You know, whether it's the Goron guy by the south gates, whether it's the the long lines of vendors there, whether it's the tingle minigame with your fangirls off in the side sure. of streets or the Malo Mart. There's so many individual pieces of that city and in reality, it's maybe like three streets. Right? Yeah. There's I'll no, grant you that. That's, it's, it's there's really not a small. ton of winding area. It's just this three street, like maybe two thoroughfare, one side street area. And then the castle, obviously. Um, and so I really like that city. What about you, Greg? What's one of your favorite fantasy cities to put you on the spot? Oh, there are so many good ones. Yes, there are.
1: Can, can Shadow our Logoth. Oh, yeah, that is a good one. Uh, do you want to take
0: over? No, no. I, mean, I just I was throwing that out there mostly as a joke because Shadow of Logoth is like the most terrifying place in the Wheel of Time. But uh, <laughs> sure, great. Yeah. T- okay,
1: can I can I say like two briefly for like opposite reasons almost? Yeah, go ahead. Sure. First one, Minas Tirith. Okay. okay. Minas Tirith is like la- It is. It's a fortress. It's laid out with wall after wall after wall, with all these circles, and they give dis- they give Tolkien gives explicit description that the gates. Are set off center from each other at random places or like opposite ends of the wall, so you have to zigzag mm-hmm. back the whole way. And it's just a really tactically interesting city. And within it, you have the within it you have um, the you know the dark the street of the dead or yeah. whatever it's called. I forget the actual name, but yeah, you have like the the street where they have houses mm-hmm. for their dead.
0: Right, there's some very interesting stuff with Mizir. The other thing that's really cool about it is from a tactical perspective, you can literally rip it apart and launch it at your enemies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have the right city, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. And that's pretty full on as well. I yeah. mean, that you, I think, like when I think of, of Minas Tirith, I think that's the one that they broke apart and threw <laughs> at their enemies, which is very memorable. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have to ask, though, since you just brought that up. I've read the books and I've seen the movies. How accurate, though, since you're a resident Tolkien expert, is the uh, structure that they make? For the movie, like, is it a pretty accurate representation of what it looks like in the books? As far as
1: I can tell, yes. I have kay. some, I have some big complaints, which I've told you before about the movies. I know. But I think that is one of the things that they got pretty much spot on. Okay. That's cool. The, and that,
0: so anybody who's seen the movies now, exactly how Minas Tirith looks is essentially the description that Tolkien gives. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much like the, they, they got all the important elements. In right. There. All the important elements they were going to show in the film. Yeah. Yeah. No that's really cool because that city has always been visually memorable to me from seeing it in the movies because it's so unique because it it's built upwards in a mountain shape and the white rock is really cool And the white rock that is, is it's really cool Okay so second city
1: Greg the second one is um the second one would be it's not exactly a city but Hogsmeade Oh okay. Ah, sure. Sure. Talk to us about Hogsmeade. We we never get a description of how Hogsmeade is laid out aside mm-hmm. from like into incidental things of like, oh, they turned down an alley and found the hog's head or something like sure. that. Sure. We we never get a lot of description about it. But it has memorable locations it's where adventure takes place you can meet people from all over it's not unusual to like meet someone from all over the wizarding world there they meet the prime they meet the minister of magic
0: <laughs> the magical prime minister in a bar in hog'smeade a bar that we should mention is <laughs> frequented by 13. People. Right. No, like, that, and that's what I wanted to point out. Like, this whole Hogsmeade experience, you're allowed to go there from Hogwarts so long as you've got a permission slip, essentially. No, but the whole setup is really fascinating. It's kind of like you're, uh, I am assuming there's some sort of English equivalent. Like, in in England, they probably have small little villages like that that it's normal for people to just, oh, I'm going to go and visit... Kent. I bet it's... I bet it's Kent. (laughs) Like, the village of Kent, or there's just a guy named Kent? No, there's, like, like some city... I'm gonna go visit Kent. No, there's some city that I've heard a comedian one time joke about, like, well, we can't set our English movie in Kent. Americans won't know what we're talking about, even though the rest of us will. And it's just one of those things Gotcha.
1: But if if you consider Hogsmeade and Hogwarts as one city... Sure, I think that's reasonable. You then have your... you have your magical university... You have a large population and you have some memorable
0: locations that a lot are nearby. Of yeah. Memorable locations. Yeah. No, absolutely. I like it. That's really interesting. Okay. So mine is Sharn from Eberron Campaign Setting. Now, this is my favorite because I, I ran it and I spent a lot of time studying it before I actually ran it because I wanted it to be as perfect as possible. I wanted it to be as accurate of a reproduction from the campaign setting as it could be and I was playing in a setting where I wasn't going to have the books on hand, so I needed to memorize this information. And so I spent a lot of time working in the city, and I realized really quickly that they've set up this city and the culture of it and then left it mostly up to the dungeon master what towers are what and how many towers there actually are and how large they are and so on and so forth. And there's a lot of free reign for the dungeon master to be like, okay, it says a thousand towers, but really it's only 905 or whatever right um but there were a couple things that were pretty pretty apparent and some of them i'm not sure if they were me coming up with them or if it was actually in the campaign setting but for instance i do know the sewage level was from the campaign setting around floors 30 to 40 of the tower and the towers would go up to be one or two or 300 stories tall can you imagine getting pelted by a leaky sewer pipe from 40 stories up? <laughs> well, and that's what I wanted to bring up. Just about everything under the sewers was not usable at that point. Oh, interesting.
1: Okay, that's what I was going to wonder. Like, if the f- sewers are from 30 to 40 floors, floors 30 to 40,
0: what is under this? <laughs> Lots of ruins. Oh. <laughs> like, the architectural structure is still good, but this is uh, old foundries, old uh Old crypts, old whatever the DM wanted it to be. <laughs> MacGuffin it, land. It was. Batman. It was MacGuffin <laughs> land. But then this was cool too. It definitely followed a poor, middle, and upper class structure. That the poor class was next to the sewers, and the farther away you got from the sewers, the more wealthy or affluent you were. And that's where the thirteen houses lived. Was in the upper levels of it, and there was massive sky bridges going from tower to tower. Mm-hmm. It was a cool setting to work with. And I want to point out, of all the cities that we've discussed, the cool, memorable small spaces have stuck out in our minds way more. Um, I do want to shout out real quickly two more cities. Okay. um, That if you're not familiar with, maybe people can go and look up. Um, I'm going to say, number one, let's do Yarnum from Bloodborne. Okay. Uh, Yarnum is like London, and it's a mess, and it's very hard to find your way in. Um, but it's also memorable in the sense that, uh, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, Bloodborne is what we call a Souls-like video game, and so that means it's... What in, we we in the industry is that? We, we in the industry call a Souls-like video game, which means it's in the style of Dark Souls, which means that the theme of Bloodborne is that you're going to have to run this same segment of the game, like... 40 50 times before you get it right. Like dying is the thing in in these games. And so by the time you're on your, you know, 15th 16th run, you're like, "No, I know exactly where I need to go." Interesting. But you wouldn't it's messy. The city is messy, and so it's only memorable by sheer repetition. And I don't necessarily recommend that for Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> what? But you but don't <laughs> but want to kill time, off your characters yeah. just to repeat the area. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so good. But yeah, you get well what's interesting is with, with Bloodborne and other Souls-like games, you'll get ambush attacks, right? Sure. And so you don't just learn, like, oh, here's where they've got the giant crucified burning wolf, which is the aesthetic of Bloodborne is gorgeous, for those of you who haven't seen it. But you'll also have, like, oh, I know behind this stairwell there's a guy who's going to swing like his meat cleaver at me. And so, like, that those kinds of things. It's a completely different set of memorable things. Um, and so that's a shout-out I wanted to give for another really, really good that's really cool. Really, really good fantasy city because it's something you don't really forget. Um, I had another one. It's gone. So, that's fine. I did mention Shadow or Logoth earlier. I feel like we should explain that for those who haven't heard. But Greg has a comment. Was that... Was Sharn the one from Bloodborne? No, no Sharn is... Yarnam. Yarnam. Y-H-A-R-N-A-M. Sharn was from Eberron? Yes. Sharn okay. from Eberron. We can cut that out later. I just had a question. No, it's fine. No, People it's are going to want to remember, so... Yeah. Um... No, the, uh, we mentioned Shadar Logoth briefly from Wheel of Time, and, uh, Shadar Logoth is a ruined city that fell to some sort of curse, slash disease, slash plague, slash magical malevolent influence, slash all of the above horrible apocalyptic things you can think of happening, without actually destroying the building structures. Ah, gotcha. And, uh... It's creepy because you. It describes when they walk in as people basically watching them without there ever being people watching them, right. and they take out an item from there and it's cursed. And I'm not going to say much more than that because yeah, it's like full on haunted city though, right? And that's what's memorable about Shatter Logoth. not the buildings themselves, but the aesthetic. And that is also kind of what I was trying to hit with Yarnum, right? You would if you didn't have to run Yarnum 50 times, you never remember this place, right? <laughs> but the aesthetic is like so well rooted in there that it doesn't matter. The other city came back to me. Oh, good. It's Thunder Bluff from World of Warcraft. Oh, okay, sure. I'll grant oh, you that. Which is the and home city, and for those of you who weren't wicked on that MMO scene in 2005, um, it's It's built on a bluff, or like a butte, mm-hmm. a couple of them, actually. Several of them. And then yeah. it's like a thousand feet tall, and then they've connected them by bridges, and it's just, it's just a capital city. It's just cool. And what's cool is because of the open world nature of World of Warcraft... You could walk off the bluff and then just die if you didn't have enough magic to slow your fall, or if you didn't have the druid's cat form, which allows right. you to survive like any fall ever. That's true. <laughs> That's <laughs> which true. is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, all of these different cities we've talked about, and I think we've we've hit a pretty good smattering of them. I think what's important to note is that with with city design, it's not what's it's not always what's in your city, but it's what your city is about. What it, maybe the description, what it looks like, something memorable. You can. It can be as weird or as wild as you want. part of the show we usually talk about how you can contact us where you can find our material um and today exciting news we will be giving you the address to our bunker so you can send us brownies we won't be giving any addresses out okay get um, me I, though, I don't like... think I would do that without a PO box like yeah, frankly in uh... <laughs> like milwaukee or something you <laughs> <laughs> you revealed to them my location of milwaukee how could you have done this um, i don't even know where milwaukee is i mean like it's in Wisconsin, but like, I don't, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Minnesota. Did I just <laughs> make a well, It's not cool? Minnesota. Where it's is it? L- it's not Minnesota. Wait, do none of us know it. where Mil-
1: Milwaukee is? I've never actually it was paid Milwaukee, attention, Wisconsin. but I, Siri, I know where's
0: it's... Milwaukee?
1: <laughs> I lived in Minnesota. Spoilers. I lived in Minnesota. Um, And
0: Milwaukee is not there. <laughs> okay. It's 1,253 miles away in Wisconsin. Oh heck yes! Huh. Oh, I am nice rolling job. with the geography. Feeling cocky, Mr. Milwaukee, are you? <laughs> wow, that was uh, that was that was good. That was good. Somebody yeah. out there's going to uh, get that reference. <laughs> I'm going to be so You've been, happy. You've been holding on to that one all week. I won the Milwaukee Invitational. Still feeling cocky, Mr. Milwaukee? You're the lowest ranked player in the school. Wow, is that what I think it is? It is. But we're not going to say we're not going to say what we're not it gonna is. Say it. <laughs> uh, but. In the Beggar's Corner, we will tell you how to contact us. And that's through email at initiative role, R O L E, at gmail.com. And of course, we always have our blog, same name, initiative role, R O L E, dot blogspot.com. I did it without putting the ad in there this time. You did. You almost always say at blogspot.com, and that is fake news. Uh, (laughs) Oh, 2018's got me down, guys. (laughs) Well, it's almost over. For us here in the studio, uh, it is New Year's Eve. So, uh, sorry, not studio, bunker. bunker. <laughs> studio bunker is my, <laughs> is my favorite indie game studio. Is it a real like, thing, studio bunker? How come every time I say something, my favorite thing, you ask me if it's real, and I always have to tell you no. <laughs> it's such a damper. But if anybody is
1: hoping to um, start up a studio, you, you probably owe him royalty. <laughs> yes, studio bunker. studio
0: bunker. I'm going to take half a percent. I, I guess it's officially copyrighted, isn't it? Like I don't think that that's how that works. I, I think it is. It's copyright wait so hold on maybe it's copyleft I don't Co- know copyleft copy is a thing copy wrong <laughs> copyleft is a thing copyleft is essentially hey this is mine but you're free to use it however you want but you just can't claim it's yours it's it's an actual thing that's been legalized as copylefting something oh like um like a Creative Commons non-derivative license exactly
1: there you go or like uh, what's it called um the home brewery
0: right that would be under copyleft law yeah okay. Huh.
1: I don't think that's My the actual name
0: of it. <laughs> yeah, I would be left. pretty surprised. That, that's more like a that's more like a tongue in cheek nickname that people have given it. <laughs> I was gonna say that sounds like something like. My mind is feeling a little bit blown right now, though. Yeah. Who knew? Copy left. Yeah. Because copyright. We gotta get some like other directions in there too. I want like up. I want down. I want A and B. So when your cheat code will be copyright, copyright, copy left, copy left, copy up, copy down, copy A, copy B, copy start. <laughs> You didn't trip over your words at all there. That was that was good. Thank you, thank you. I'd Shout like to... out forever to Konami. <laughs> I'd like to thank the Academy. I'd like to thank Konami. Street Fighter Two World Tour, my personal st- favorite Street Fighter. Um, yeah, oh, that's pretty good. Uh, with all of that said, again, contact us. We always want to hear your stories, fan questions, anything that you got to throw at us that has to do with Dungeons and Dragons. We are still holding out for three people to say they want the Bruno Mars fan cast? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Three, I think, would be the tipping point, right? <laughs> just I looked at our listener stats, and if we had three, we would be legally obligated under <laughs> copyleft law to make a Bruno Mars fan cast. That would be a thing, right? I think so. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> uh, sounds good. Well that cast would be just amazing, just the way it was. Uh-huh. Alright, well this episode is dedicated to I'm not doing the dedication. Greg not... is. I'm gonna pass that over.
1: Thank you. Okay. This episode is dedicated to someone that I just found out neither of these two uh, lovely colleagues of mine has ever heard of before. I feel like a plebe. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I
0: will, will not do... join you there. All, all of you plebes out there. <laughs> plebes listen to what he has to say. <laughs> that was a real zinger of a pun, huh?
1: <laughs> okay, but the, the person that I would like to dedicate this episode to is an author um this author was one of the major um was one of the major like authors that i read as a child when i got into reading a lot of fantasy stories and stuff like that and that is
0: patricia ann mckillop okay and we've we've never heard of her so you got to tell us about her and what she did
1: So, Patricia Ann McKillop wrote a series of books um, called The Riddle Master Trilogy. Um, that included uh, the four books, or no, the three four books. The three books in that series are The Riddle Master of Heed, The Air of Sea and Fire, and Harpist in the Wind. I've literally never heard of any of those. They're some of, the, they're some of the most inventive fantasy fantasy storytelling that I've ever read. Um, okay. They they don't seem to rely on any of the any of the typical tropes, but they had so many memorable things in there. the The magic system is all very soft magic. It's not really explained a whole lot, okay. and the whole world revolves around knowledge and the pursuit of knowledge and these things called riddles, which are more like um, learning the secrets of the world and drawing truths, um, drawing like moral and. Um, moral and ethical truths out of the secrets of the world and its history. Gotcha. And it had like and it had all of these amazing places like the uh like the uh the Riddle Master's College, um, and the island of Heed, which is like the Shire-ish sort of place there. It's this very peaceful land. Um nothing interesting ever happens there. Um and the the uh the Kingdom of Anne, which is devo- which is divided into Anne um and hell, um the these three like duchies basically and stuff like that that are plagued by ghosts at night like nice, over the whole nice. area and the the northern moors where Morgan of Heed harps with the wind and stuff like that harps with the music in the wind and stuff like that and it it it's just aesthetically beautiful and the and all of the places just give you a sense of this ancient history that you just can't quite understand but that. Um, But that these characters seem to kind of instinctively tap into. And it was beautiful in a way because of how it didn't quite match up with any other fantasy I've ever read. Right. It showed me that there still is room for storytelling that is not cliched, (laughs) but also good. Because I love cliched storytelling.
0: Who doesn't? doesn't, right? But I love it a
1: lot. (laughs) And for all of you out there, please read the Riddle Master trilogy. It might not be up your alley, but it is worth giving it a try if you've never heard of it. It is a beautiful read.
0: circles burned into the clovers around you you remember something a bright light them reaching down the aliens they wrote something on your skin it's a fan question from dungeon master clay I'm sorry, that was, you had me actually like really hooked and engaged, like where is this going to go? And then as soon as you said, you have something written on your arm, I was like, you are a terrible person. (laughs) Q X-Files theme. You ever heard of the Dungeon Master fan question alien? (laughs) Yeah, that was a rough (laughs) one, Uh, love, it's like this blue haze, and all you see is an FBI ID card with David Duchovny's face on it. If you've never seen season one of the X Files, then you—I mean, missing that's out. like almost every season. Of is that X-Files. really like? Yeah. I mean, I'm on like season four or five, and it's like still rolling. So uh, that's funny. Anyway, X Files is uh, is great fun. Does it does it get better as it goes on? By the way, it's I like a- season three a lot. Okay, you said you're on season four or five though. So oh yeah yeah, yeah. I it, like. Season three is real good. Season three was, I really liked season three. (laughs) Season four (laughs) is also very good. Well, we do have a question, like you said, from Dungeon Master Clay. Uh, Pros and cons of fudging numbers. Specifically, I think that means, as a DM, what are the benefits to fudging a number that your monsters roll against the players? In addition, what are the benefits to fudging an AC on a monster you create? I I think all of this falls in there. Um, Greg, you're our guest today. You're pulling something out of the bag. I think it's a set of dice. Oh, uh, it's a set of dice. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And it's a nice one, too. It is a nice That's one. That's a pretty nice this is my favorite
1: set of dice. For For all of you viewers who can't see <laughs> through sound. This is an audio medium. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's maybe one guy out there with synesthesia who's like, they're yellow. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody else has any idea. This is this is actually like my favorite set of
1: dice, which I don't know why, because it's actually my hardest set to use. It is clear um it is clear yellow like a clear yellow crystally sort of looking thing with white sure. numbers on it which means that if it lands on the wrong surface i can't actually see what it says without squinting at it really closely
0: right. manufactured by chessex yes mm-hmm. chessex is fantastic Good, nice by the way Good. Brand.
1: so i just rolled an eight i'm gonna try that again just rolled a one there we go that's better i just rolled a 16 which would beat most first level characters armor classes and my goblin now is about to deal um my goblin now is about to deal at least a few points of damage to my fighter with two hit points left and
0: what do i do at this point yeah and that's a great question um, to bring up a very real situation that happened to me once. Now granted, this was with 3rd edition Dungeons & Dragons. Um, and I should clarify that the rule with uh, the dice in Dungeons & Dragons, critical hits. Uh, you, in 5th in edition, you roll a 20, it's a critical hit. There is no question. In 3rd edition, or, or 3.5 is what we were technically playing, um, you roll a 20, and then you would have to roll again to see if you did critical damage. And if you beat the monsters armor class then you did it and if you rolled two 20s in a row then you could roll a third time and if you got lucky it was an insta kill um so perfect 20 twice beat the armor class a third time you instantly kill whatever it is um which is a really complex system now that i look back on it though i loved it at the time and uh, the problem is that the same rule holds true for monsters attacking players that's how it works. And so, uh, my good friend, who was polymorphed as a pseudo-dragon at the time, was flying up a tower, and this, he was, like, level 16 or something insane, and this, like, he was in Sharnigan, and this little, uh, this little guy from this tower. <laughs> Sharnigans is, is my favorite Irish I, pub. <laughs> Sharnigans. He just said he was in again, and I was like, Welcome to Sharnigan's! <laughs> oh, welcome to Sharnigan's! Top of the morning to you! And you know what's funny? it would be just like a regular American white guy talking with an accent just like that. Because that's how Irish pubs work outside of Ireland. We, we apologize to any
1: Irish listeners. Yeah, that this is not off.
0: racist in any way. It is, in fact, more a, a problem of cultural appropriation across Irish pubs in general. But well, By the way, we also mean no disrespect to any Americans with bad accents who... Uh, I mean, I mean a little disrespect. <laughs> I'm throwing a little bit of shade here. Who <laughs> run Irish pubs in the U.S. Um... No, but with that said, this they were like, well, we want to fly up the tower. And I was like, well, this tower's guarded by some nobodies. That's fine. They're just going to fire their crossbow bolts at you. And so I just, behind the DM screen, I just, I roll and I get a 20. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> and I roll again and I get another 20. And I'm like, oh, no. And I roll a third time and I get a third 20. And I'm like, um... I can't kill my level 16 player because something with a challenge rating of a half got a lucky hit. That's not okay. Um, And in that moment, I did actually inform the player, which I think was a mistake. Um, I did let them know that they were basically dead and that I just wasn't going to count it because I didn't think that that was fair. And I think that was a mistake on my part. Not to save the player from that ridiculous fate because I think that would have just made everyone angry. But to tell the player that I'd done that, I think was a huge mistake. Gotcha. So what you're saying is, we're in that situation Greg set up. 16 rolls, going to beat the armor class for the sure. fighter. Fighter's going to drop, go unconscious. But you know that that's probably going to be bad for your players. Save them, but don't tell them. Definitely. Uh, side note, the player that that happened to is actually Dungeon Master Clay. <laughs> <laughs> so the player that was the pseudo-dragon that should have died... Uh, but I didn't. Was, <laughs> was hey, play. when do you want to fudge the numbers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, basically. Um, That's funny. It's funny. It's so funny.
1: so is the consensus that there are some times that you do have to fun, fudge the numbers, but you
0: shouldn't ever let the players know? Yes, never let the players know that you're fudging numbers. That's never. literally the reason why you have a Dungeon Master screen. That is my the You can the lie about the number you just rolled <laughs> without anybody knowing <laughs> yeah everything else that we use the dungeon master screen for extra notes putting papers behind there having you know surprise minifigures like in the scene with uh stranger things where the demogorgon comes out from behind the dungeon master screen onto the board and they're all like it's the demogorgon <laughs> and dustin is just swearing we're to dead oh fat little so mouth off <laughs> i love him he's my favorite character and also my spirit animal <laughs> <laughs> no Oh man! All of the things that we use the DM screen for. What a wonderful character, Dustin <laughs> is a wonderful character. Sorry. Guys, if you haven't, go watch Stranger Things season three this summer. April isn't it? Huh. It's every I, eighteen. I heard June. I'd heard every eighteen months because heard... April and then October and then April. But I, I'm could down. be wrong. I'm down. I, I'd like to not be wrong. This has been our Stranger Things fan cast. <laughs> no, Stranger Things actually has but, a lot of D and D references in there, and 100%. it's really fun for that. But the. The thing is, I mean, that's the reason for the Dungeon masters. It's the whole point. You can lie about the numbers, right? Mm-hmm. The no. You can... <laughs> uh, how often should you lie about the numbers is probably the real question. Now I have a. a I, I'll answer that question with another question. Who will know? I just threw a smoke bomb for those of you listeners who didn't see it, and then I vanished. <laughs> um, wait, <laughs> the no, bunker is full of
1: smoke. <laughs> can can I actually bring up something? Sure. I I had a roommate once, and just once. <laughs> I had this one roommate out of other roommates that I've had. This was like a few years ago, and he he liked playing. Um, this was before I got into um, RPGs of any kind, except for Legend of Zelda, which is completely different medium of course tabletop rpg now this is before i got into any of that and he walked me through like how to just theater of the mind play an rpg without rolling dice or anything like that and it what we discovered is that the dice probably make for some better storytelling moments but it's not necessary for it's not necessary to have them the the dungeon master could like like This wouldn't fit with the mechanics of D&D, but it is possible to tell a compelling story without actually rolling any dice and just having the dungeon master make arbitrary calls.
0: Huh. Yeah, in fact, I I actually had a similar experience with (laughs) a roommate as well. (laughs) We were just, uh, we were eating lunch one time, just shooting the breeze, and we had a couple of mutual friends. And I said, let's look at our mutual friends. What if we were all shipwrecked? What would you do? Like, we're on a raft... Titanic style, like out in the middle of the ocean, nobody's coming to rescue us. And my roommate, who at the time, well, not at the time, he probably currently still is, a giant lovable teddy bear of a man, said, Oh, well, I don't know. And I was like, well, better find out quick. (laughs) And we just kind of talked to, well, hypothetically, I'd do this. And I'm like, but then what if a wave came? (laughs) And we just talked through it, and there were no dice involved. We were just kind of having this hypothetical discussion, which in hindsight, we were like, this is kind of an RPG moment, but like in the moment, we were just like, hypothetically, let's just have some fun and shoot the breeze a little bit, right? There was a great sequence where we busted open a supply crate from a wrecked ship that was full of Twinkies. It was fantastic, and it was not important, as we sculpted that hideous narrative, it was not important at all how we, the dice that we rolled. Huh. So then,
1: as the person in the room who is, I know i the Dungeon Master for today, but as the person who's newest to Dungeons & Dragons... If, this is the, if you can tell a story without the dice, why do we have the dice? What makes the dice important? The
0: dice are only good for laughs. Comedic effect is the only, and I will I will die on this hill, the only <laughs> the reason bard. we have dice is so that when you roll a 20 or you roll a 1, everybody can laugh or cheer. That is the only reason we have dice. Uh, I disagree strongly on that point, though I don't think you're wrong about that being an effect of having the dice. Um, there have been plenty of great moments when you cheer based on those numbers or cringe pretty hard no i believe that the reason we have the dice is because the dice make it a game instead of just our imaginations and it gives it rules and structure and i don't want to say a win or lose scenario because dungeons and dragons isn't about winning or losing it's about the story but stories have wins and losses and it's what determines hey this was a win this was a loss um And so, fudging things behind the DM screen, most notably dice, though, other things. Um, For example, you can fudge how many creatures show up in the battle. You can fudge if there's a battle at all. You can fudge how much health that creature has in the moment. You can bring an NPC in there to help out. Right. Or or activate divine benevolence. Whatever. Every day you sex. You're allowed to do all of that stuff. And in fact, there are times that you definitely should. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've gone... Are you kidding? You guys have been fighting this monster for 10 minutes now, and it's you just hit it for 20 health, and it had 21? It only had 20 health. And we just roll with it. Right. Because that's that's just how you do it. Now, I don't do that frequently, but it's happened enough times that I'm like, you know what, whatever. But the problem with frequently fudging something is that if you do it too often... The players definitely start to start to figure that out. And they start to call, hey, you're not playing by the rules, and you're doing it in our favor. And then that makes it so that all of their victories that they've won feel hollow. So what you're saying is, like, there is a point where you can lie too much about the numbers, and that's when the players start to clue in. Yeah. And I would again, I, I'm hesitant to throw another smoke bomb, but I would again say... Who's going to find out? (laughs) What what I mean by that is, if you're good about it, don't make every fudged number a 1. Don't make every fudged number a 20. Fudge some 8s in there. Fudge some 12s. Right. Fudge the damage that an individual attack does. And, in fact, this is one of the things the DM's Guide recommends when running what they call hordes, I think. Like, a lot of monsters. you have 20 monsters on the field... Well, that could be really fun for your players, but then, you know, you, ha- you have five zombies attacking every single player. That's fine, but do you really want to roll the d20 20 times to figure out how often they hit? No, instead you're going to go, oh, they're probably going to hit about one in three times. Great, one in every three zombies hits, and you're just going to make that decision. And you might roll the dice behind there, and the players might go, oh, he, ro- he rolled dice. Or you might not, and just say, guys... Statistically, here's what's going to happen And go with it But that's a form of fudging dice Is when you look at statistically what will happen in a horde I think the times I'll, I'll just
1: say the times that I have fudged dice Are when it would have been likely that One, when it would have been likely that a character would die Because everything in the room was in a position to attack that one character And gang up on them And so some of them have to miss Sure because it wouldn't have been cool to have the very first thing that happened in the fight be someone die. Yeah. yeah. And then the other time is when you guys um, you guys needed more of a challenge. Oh. Yeah. And someone needed to feel some danger. Not like life threatening danger, not like I was trying to kill off a character, but someone needed to take some damage that, you know, they wouldn't other wouldn't otherwise have so that they felt a little
0: bit of the so that they felt a little bit of danger so the combat could be more fun. And I think I mean we've said a lot on this point and I, I kinda wanna get it wrapped up here, but I think what Greg's hinted at here is the most important thing. And that's that narrative significance is the number one thing. Yes. Like it's way more cool to have your fighter go down if that's gonna play a role in the narrative, not kill all of your characters. Right. Right? And so that's when you want to fudge numbers, is like, okay, well, is sparing the fighter going to be more narratively helpful here, or is it going to be more narratively helpful if he gets a little wounded and has to retreat a little bit? And on that note, though, you need to make sure you avoid that one episode of The Twilight Zone. Um, I can't remember what the name of it is, though. I wish I could right now. Monsters are due on Maple Street. No, though, that's a fantastic episode. Attack of the Clones. What? No. Um, (laughs) It's the episode where I'll just give you guys the rundown of it, and spoilers for a 50-year-old television show. Hold on. (laughs) We're about to spoil some Twilight Zone up in here. We are. We're gonna give it a. We're gonna give it thirty seconds for Nathaniel's boy, the Twilight Zone, starting now. Okay. So in this episode, what happens is a man dies who's a bank robber, and he goes to what he presumes is heaven. He's met by an angel. The angel shows him around, and he proceeds to go around heaven doing whatever he wants. He robs banks. He goes to casinos. He always wins. He gets whatever girl he wants. And with that said, he starts to become unhappy very quickly. and he's like, I think there's been a mistake. I don't think I should be here. I think I should be in the other place. And the reveal is he is in the other place. Wow, I cannot believe you encapsulated that so quickly into 30 seconds. I mean, I realize I just put you on a restrictive timeline there. But anyway, go ahead. what what what's So your the point? point with that reveal is that character is unhappy because of that reveal. and that reveal is them saying, hey, everything that's happened that you thought was working in this way isn't working the way you thought it was. And because of all of this success, you are miserable. Is and, what it
1: is. And so the success was, nar- it was narratively more significant for him to
0: succeed. Except for there was never any failure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so that success became meaningless and miserable because it was always successful. Um, and if you do that to your players, if they never fail, they're going to resent you as a dungeon master eventually. Right. No, that's pretty understandable, and I, I see exactly what you're saying there with that. Um, because if there's never any narrative tension, if there's never any problem, you're going to have bigger problems down the line. Yeah. So, in short, feel free to fudge the numbers. Be super careful when you do. Be super careful when you do so that your players don't resent you. always behind the dm screen and always behind the dm screen let them see those numbers don't let them see them um well it looks like we're just about uh, ready to curl back into our bunker here but uh before we go we want to give a shout out to everyone who's uh joined with us here in our first year at initiative roll it is the last day of the year i think uh a shout out would be well well earned to everyone who's been listening to our show since day one and uh Everyone who continues to join from this point on. Absolutely. Thanks so much for your support. I apologize that I've been a little distant. I was desperately trying to find the name of that Twilight Zone episode. Uh, yeah, it's not going to happen right now. No, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I'll put it in the show notes though, if I get it figured out. Sounds good. Because it's very good. It is a good episode. You knew the one. Then. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was episode four, but it's not. No, that, that thing mm. is going about the hypochondriacs. <gasps> oh, it's because I'm looking at the 1985 what? Twilight Zone. There was that's a 1985 stupid. Twilight Zone? I'm so mad. I'm going to put it in the show notes. I'm indignant at this point. Fair enough. Anyway, well, before we go, there's one last thing. Is that. S- what is that? A rapping, tapping on our bunker door? Tis some midnight visitor. Go away. We're pouring over many a quaint and curious volume of long forgotten lore. Of the lost he. and radiant maiden who the angels named Lenore. From behind the door. You hear the DM say, "It's time to roll initiative." Nevermore. Hi, kids. I'm Prince Adam of Eternia. Today, my friends and I learned some very valuable lessons about designing cities. My friend Cringer learned that every great city has an aesthetic, and it's important that as a dungeon master, yours should too. Shebra and the Sorceress learned that everything has its own memorable moments, and if you want your players to be engaged, keep those moments fresh. And Orko learned that although rules are important, it's important to keep a loosey-goosey layout of your city so that your players can have a good time and explore in a sandbox. There you are, He-Man! Oh, gotta go, kids.